0: That is actually the red light that's reporting to Oh, oh, out.
1: okay, if that goes out, okay. You okay, can. you can clap if you want to.
0: This is the Slow Exposure podcast, hosted by me, Eliza Edwards, a Berlin-based writer and founder of Slow Exposure, an Instagram account that celebrates emerging talent within the sphere of sustainability. This podcast is a series of conversations with experts from all corners of the fashion industry, between myself and designers, activists, CEOs and more. The idea started last year in London. I brought my microphone with me everywhere I went, pressing the red button when we started our conversations. This series is supported by Vestia Collective, the leading global app for pre-loved fashion. Discover a more sustainable, circular way of buying and selling a wide range of premium, designer and luxury pieces from their global community by joining their movement and becoming a fashion activist today. In this last episode in the first series of the Slow Exposure podcast, I sat down with the Berlin-based stylist, Olive Duran. We speak about issues of racial inequality that exist both within the German fashion industry and the wider world. Olive opens up regarding her experiences as a person of colour working in the creative industry and, as friends, we discuss how we can all work to make the fashion industry a more diverse place in the future. Please be mindful of the delicate nature of this conversation and, in the wake of the events of 2020, how we go forward with understanding and knowledge. This conversation illustrates that sustainability within the fashion industry is urgent from both an environmental and ethical perspective. We met last summer. Yeah, I think it was last summer. It was yeah, late. it was last summer. I remember being we on super, the terrace. It was warm, super warm. <laughs> yeah, uh, you had a yummy tomato salad. Oh yeah, oh it was delicious. Yum. Yep. You mm-hmm. haven't had that in a while, though. No, I'm I haven't.
1: Unfortunately, I haven't sat on a terrace on for a while either. Yeah, last year. Last year was it was eye-opening. I think. I think what, what was the most positive thing regarding fashion from last year and the whole calling out and the whole just trying to change the industry was that people finally realized that there's so much more to diversity than putting a POC model on a cover. There's so much more. and I think the fact that things like this were these discussions were finally talked about were so important for me because it didn't it finally made me realize. How that the way I was feeling being on set and being a stylist and, you know, usually being the only person of color on a set and not liking the way it made me feel, realizing that there were so many other people around the world who felt the same and realized that it's actually wrong was incredibly, like, satisfying and knowing that, okay, this really is time for a change. Unfortunately, it took so many drastic things to happen and so many, you know, just, yeah, it just took a lot for that to finally be end up being a discussion. Mm.
0: But yeah, how are we going with this? So I think what's important for me to mention, I guess, at the beginning of this conversation yeah. is that we have known each other since oh, I mean wow. I've known of you yeah. since for like five years. Yeah. And we've like got to know each other more personally, I guess, the last year a couple or so. Of years, yeah.
1: Exactly. Um, yeah, I met you when you were working uh, at Asian T V Exactly. Gosh. True. Yeah, way back when. And I was working at indie. Wow, yeah. Oh my
0: gosh. If we go back to the beginning of you starting to work in the fashion industry you mentioned that you were often the only person of color on set and mm-hmm. you found that very
1: difficult is that something that you've always felt yeah so in the beginning times i must say i was you know one thought that always crossed my mind anytime i was applying for a job i and i got the job or anytime i got anything positive in my life i always the first thought that crossed my mind would always be did I get hired because I was black? Mm. Or will they not hire me because I'm black? Usually it would hire me and it was always like, it just it's hard to talk about it now, I realize, because I'm noticing, even just saying this out loud, that there that was actually the first thought. It wasn't like, yay, I got the job, I'm like, damn, I got it because I'm black, and they dare it's an all-white team. It's just obviously not a good feeling that that's the first thing that you think about before you even reward yourself with getting the job is that you you, you take a step back and you're like, oh, it's definitely because of this, you know? Back to your question, like being on set or being anywhere. First of all, my whole fashion industry experience definitely started here in Berlin. I did various internships and then eventually started working at Indie Magazine. Started as an intern and then moved into being social media editor and then junior fashion editor. And it was hard for me, I think, to always see teams being built and for me to always be on these amazing sets and get to have all these incredible experiences and always 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 being the only POC for the most 80 percent of the time. That's something that's very it's hard to deal with but I think I always just was like oh I just live in Germany that's just the thing and that's just the way it is and that's something that you kind of just tell yourself to to be able to deal with it where the older I got and the more I got more in touch with the black community here. I realized that shouldn't be the case. There's plenty of POCs here that deserve the job just as much as anybody else. Yeah, the diversity in this in this uh, city is has a lot of work basically. But when it comes down to tokenism, I think I've never seen it. Obviously, I've I've worked in other places, but I've never seen it as bad as I've seen it in Germany. It's it's really hard to deal with. Mm. <laughs>
0: And I think as someone who knows your work, it's very difficult for me to hear that you, your first reaction was they're hiring me because I'm a person of color and not because
1: the work you create is amazing, you know? And like, you've got to where you are today because of your (laughs) skills. Yeah, for sure. But I've even had people tell me, one time I was raving about how many jobs I was getting and I was like, oh, I'm killing it, blah, blah, blah. And I've literally had somebody tell me before, oh, it's most likely because you're black. You know, like, do you know how shattering that is? Mm -hmm and this is people they they you know they maybe didn't mean it malicious but that's just how they come up that's just that's just the way they said it and it's heartbreaking you know i've literally had bosses i won't mention where but i've had bosses tell me this before people think it's funny you know that's like the worst part but taking that energy home with you and then being able like thinking you know trying to have like a recap of your day and then trying to make sense of it but you're wondering if any of it is actually worth it if they really only hired you to make them look better it's like how do you value yourself and how do you value what you do if you don't even think that it's genuine you know
0: totally styling is it's so much more than just the aesthetic it's the message you're trying to
1: portray sure. and who you're trying to reach 100 percent. and i'm also trying to. I want my work to be relatable to other POCs, especially when I'm doing stuff for German magazines or whatever else. It's very important for me to work with teams that are diverse. I'll do whatever at this point now to get through to the production team or whatever, that it's just not okay. So obviously it's difficult. We don't want to like say, like, this magazine did this no, or whatever. No, for sure not. But you...
0: What's difficult is, I guess, that you were saying how you were always the only person of colour mm-hmm. on set, or often. Mm-hmm. And I imagine that you also felt a responsibility to for sure, hire for other sure. people of colour and, and involve other people of colour. Was that something that, as you got older, do you mm-hmm. think that sense of responsibility increased? Do you think it was gradually getting easier mm-hmm. to diversify it? Or do you think it's kind of remained stagnant mm-hmm. in the last years?
1: No, i definitely, I feel like, let's say at the beginning of my career is like 22, 23 I'm 29 now it's again i get older and i get more confident and I, I am very much more aware of who i am and what kind of impact i want to leave or mark i want to leave in this world or in this industry or like, if i have a voice i want to make that i want people to know very clear what i stand for you know so has it become easier yes in a way because i think that people are listening more to me which i feel very grateful for i think my opinion is valued a lot more i would just however i am also i noticed that people definitely find my approach aggressive, which is a word that I hate being called because I think that's very it's very hurtful. But if that's the what I have to be called in order for me to be able to like make a right mark on in the right steps into a, a diverse and inclusive future, then that's fine. Call me aggressive all you want, but it's definitely not nice. And it's not nice when you have to literally feel that way in order to to stand for something that is you shouldn't really have to be fighting for in the first place.
0: Totally. And Obviously my experience is not comparable, yeah. but last year I had to have one or two difficult conversations mm-hmm. with I was writing for I think a project and we were doing shoots and things and I said I'm not gonna do it until you diversify your casting. Mm-hmm. And my the reaction that I got was totally defensive. Yeah. And what I've written so many times in, in these notes of this interview is that I'm able to distance myself if I want to I
1: can't no and I would feel guilty and I would feel I wouldn't be able to sleep at night knowing that I'm letting things not speaking out for things that I should be speaking out for you know but it's interesting you said defensive and I think that that's such in the industry here at least I find people getting instead of hearing me out they get so defensive so quickly which leads to this whole white privilege and this white fragility thing which I honestly don't have the patience for (laughs) It's really hard when you have to deal with everything that's going on in the world and you have to also educate people individually on what the fuck is wrong and why 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 they're being so defensive, you know? Do you ever feel like you're fighting a losing battle? Sometimes, yeah. For sure. Sometimes it just Sometimes I can tell by the way that people look at me that they're just going to they're waiting until I'm done, carry on and move on with their day and pretend like that conversation just never happened, you know? Yeah, for sure. But I'm not going to let that, nobody should let that stop them, you know, because maybe one person might not listen and that's their dumbass fault, but at the end of the day, there's so many other people who will and who do want to be better and who do want to improve. And I think that's just also really important is to just try to have that positive outlook and not just be so angry with everything. Like, that's also a problem that I had last year is because I spent so much of last year being angry and hating the world. And I also have to take a step back and realize that I can't change everything overnight and it's just important to take things step by step and also just try to maybe talk to the people who you know will listen, who do want, who want to listen. And then after that, maybe the rest will come. I wouldn't have been able to say this last year in fucking June or something like that, you know? Mm. I was just like, had so much built up anger inside of me. That, yeah.
0: So let's talk about last year.
1: Yeah, I think obviously George Floyd's death was the biggest hit for me. And I don't know, Ahmaud Arbery as well. Hosting that run, I organized a run for Ahmad's. what would have been his actual, the day he, we did like a run that everyone around the world was doing and I wanted to host one here. And the turnout was amazing. Unfortunately I didn't get a good name going from the police so we had a bit of issues. (laughs) but it was just really incredible to see it was again like an overnight thing that i organized and there was like 200 people there. Sorry. Quickly
0: explain what Gneingling from the police. Oh, sorry, ganeving from the police. So is that an is allowance. an interesting yeah. subtext. Yeah, well. exactly.
1: So i had to get an allowance from the police because here in in Germany you need anytime you are organizing a protest or large gathering in a public space you have to get an allowance from the police, not from the police.
0: Yeah, the um the, the council. Track. Yeah. The, the bureaucracy, bureaucracy
1: is, is real. Yes. And it's usually very easy to get. But like I said, this was a very spontaneous thing for me to, to organize. And I figured I'm just going to do a round around the park, close to my house. You know, it's more of just like bringing everyone together in solidarity. It wasn't necessarily about the run, but I was very happy to see such a large turnout. But of course, that was the reason the police... We're not so happy, of course. Also, it's a pandemic. Luckily, they stopped us, didn't fi- end up finding, giving me a fine. And they did let us carry on in smaller groups. So we like dispersed, which was uh, good. But in general, the point is that that turnout was so incredible for me and, and it really made me remind myself that I do have a voice and I felt like I do have a responsibility here as a black person in Germany to, to build awareness, you know, and to bring people together and to talk about these things and to, to just openly try to change, you know. So that that was the big that was the big thing for me and that was after that I realized like, okay, I really need to be a lot more active and the fact that I am also American by birth, I and grew up in DC, everything that happens there, not only is it the states and it's happening to black people, but it's also in like my hometown. So like it's it just hits home even closer.
0: I remember you mentioned yeah. at the time of that this was all happening, that yeah. your friends back in the States were I mean, your connection to America makes this all a lot more personal, I guess. For sure.
1: I have friends who skate at 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 Freedom Plaza, which is right next to the White House, and if you're not familiar with DC, Freedom Plaza is like the 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 road that people like kind of march down when they're any anything in DC is at Freedom Plaza. So when my boys were there every single day skating and seeing what's going on, and they're all black and you know they're they're in the riots and they're they're seeing I'm seeing videos of them getting maced and me waking up at like 4 a.m. to like check Instagram stories to see that shit was just dark and that like just did a crazy thing for me. Like I like couldn't sleep. It was just nuts, you know, to see white police officers just like f- literally beating up black people in, in the, you know, in DC. It's just, it's, it's horrible.
0: Yeah, and you live in Berlin. And you live here. <laughs> and, and I was totally oblivious to the level of racism that was happening in this city and in this country. Mm-hmm. And I think to take it back, because I'm trying to do a rough timeline, but it's yeah. kind of difficult to last Octo- October 2019, L Germany brought out a publication mm-hmm. and it had a blonde woman on the front and it said in, uh, in text, back to black. Mm-hmm. And inside, there were multiple insane mistakes in this publication, but inside it said it had a picture of a black model and someone else's name underneath. Mm-hmm. And in German, but translated, it essentially said that black was a trend, being black was a trend. Mm-hmm. And... I've never felt so guilty in my existence because, and it's such a weird type of guilt because Mm -hmm. obviously I'm not personally responsible. Of course not. Yeah. I guess I felt guilty for even being part of the German fashion industry, Mm -hmm. and it really exposed what you'd been
1: experiencing this Mm -hmm. whole time. Yeah, for sure. In such a public way. In such a public way, and it's just it's just so shitty because I think that so much of last year I had like flashbacks of things. It felt like all of these like terrible memories that you just like pass back and you never talk about after they happen it felt like all that came through and it was like all these things in my mind being like that wasn't right that wasn't right that wasn't right like that felt so fucked and the worst part about it is that like like all of those situations that i felt that that came into my mind like 90% of that was like work related It wasn't with friends. It wasn't like out that somebody said something inappropriate. It was all in like my work environment. And that was like, holy shit. Like, what am I doing in this fucking industry? You know? What am I actually doing? Am I actually appreciated or am I just here because people like my braids? Like, it's super weird, you know? And you start to devalue. You don't devalue yourself, but you just start to wonder if anything you ever did was because people like you or not, you know, or people, people respect your work or if it's just because they really need to make themselves look cool and diverse. Like I genuinely feel that way, you know, remember like just comments about like hairstyles that I've had and everything like that, like all in workspaces that were just so inappropriate that you just, you just kind of shrug off and don't think about, you know, and I never said anything in the past, but it's just, it just feels so it's just a lot. It's a lot to ha- handle and a lot to reflect and a lot to think about. And it's just very, it's it's very hurtful. But again, now, rather now than ever, you know, that we can have the time to, like, speak openly about this and really recognise that all of this wasn't right, you know? How do you feel about
0: cancel culture? Cancel culture is obviously not specific to this conversation, yeah. but I also... It's also a thing that people are being cancelled right. too easily yeah, or too yeah. quickly. Um, so, for example, like L Germany,
1: should they be cancelled?
0: Uh, no, I definitely think L Germany <laughs> should be cancelled. But like, as in, I, I there are there are cases of of people, I guess, trying to have conversations like I am with you, mm. or and. Not approaching it in the right way, and I think people are trying to talk about these issues. But mm-hmm. there's, I think, there's a certain amount of fear with, that comes with not wanting to
1: say the wrong thing. Like yeah, I'm able for to sure, ask for sure. And I feel very like I want things to be transparent. I want everyone. I like this is also my kind of new approach. To the year I just really want to be as clear and open and transparent and honest mm-hmm. as possible. And I think I don't need to beat around the bush and make any story seem better than it really is. Because the reality is that racism is hella real (laughs) and it is something that we need to be speaking open more much much more about so that other people who have felt this way but never said anything don't have this breakdown you know in a Mm -hmm. while because they're like guilty that's how i felt last year is that i was guilty that i never said anything before you know i was like mad at myself that i let things like this happen it's just not nice you know Mm -hmm. but again this having these kind of conversations will help that you know in the long run did you feel like people were different with you at the time. I think a lot of my white friends were trying to be a little bit too fragile with me and I was like, we're still friends, you don't need to act weird. Like, I'm not going to break down any minute and start crying. Like, I don't want this pity thing. And uh, that's also a conversation that I had a lot with um, some of my black friends. It was, we were just like, we don't want white people to constantly treat like tippy toe around us and treat us differently because that's not going to help the issue, you know? Yeah, I definitely felt like people just... I was always getting the... Are you okay? Can I get you... Somebody asked if they could get me groceries last year. Like, it was just weird. I was like, I don't need, like, white servants. That's just strange. Like, it's just so strange. I mean, at the same time, it's, like, cute. And I'm happy that I have people who are, like, reaching out to me. But I just felt like it was all... It was just all weird. It was really strange. The groceries thing is... is, (laughs) so weird. But that's also clearly just someone being like... "Ah!" (laughs) <laughs> what am I going to do? Yeah, and it's just like, it's just weird. And I had people who didn't really know me, like reaching out and like people that I like met once, you know, like being like, hey, hope you're okay. Again, it's sweet. It's a very like, it's nice, whatever, but this is weird. We touched on L oh, yes.
0: and
1: German advertising, for example, when
0: you get on the tube, the diversity is appalling. And... It's so interesting because the, uh, the idea of the Aryan woman or man mm. obviously has such a sinister subtext in Germany. Oh yeah. <laughs> I don't know what, what can be done to genuinely improve the diversity within the German media landscape.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Because for example, the Vogue Representation Matters video was amazing, mm-hmm. but also the point of the video was to sh- to show women and there was also i think there was a guy on there as well there of, guys, yeah, of yeah. color mm-hmm. and also what was and important that was the about point that, of
1: it it was and also what was so amazing about that whole project with, with vogue germany is that they they were very very sure that the, like they wanted the entire uh, team to be black as well you know so i was I did a lot of the styling or they wanted the team to be POCs actually. So they I did the styling, all the photographers were black. Like it was it was amazing. All the hair and makeup artists were black. Like it was it was incredible. This is the thing. It's like that was one project.
0: Yeah, that's what I mean.
1: That was a project that happened in April 2019. That's my question. How do we
0: get from this is happening in this moment because this is the news of the time? George Floyd's death, the protests. Like mm-hmm. that was the that was the news at the time and then carrying on that effort to diversify the German media landscape or
1: the fashion landscape past that point. Yeah, that's the problem. I mean, okay, yes, they had a last year Vogue print issue. They did have a, a black model on the cover, I think first time ever. So now if you're on a
0: set, I mean, obviously we're in the middle of a global pandemic, so yeah. we're not all standing on sets everywhere, but if yeah. you were on a set and you've, you realised that you were the only person of colour on set.
1: I was approached for a job last year that was with a very big brand, and um, the whole aesthetic of the whole like everything in the mood board and and the whole plan that the art director made it was featuring a lot of photos of Kylie Jenner and the Kardashians and stuff like this. And they wanted the model to kind of fit that vibe and blah blah blah. But then they also had like pictures of black artists and things like this so I felt very confused because when I actually did see the influencers who I was styling it was they were very they were blackfishing to the fullest and that was very hurtful for me to see because I'm sitting there dressing people who literally fake that they are a POC when they're white Germans you know so I ended up talking to the producers about it and told them how I felt um, unfortunately there was nothing they could do because it was in the the hands of the brand, but they, they, they definitely, they sat down, they definitely heard what I said. And again, it was out of their hands, but that and just getting to that point of like reaching out to the, the people who got you the job and telling them how you really feel, I think was already very rewarding for me, even if there was nothing that could be done, I still felt like I made a good impression, you know, to the team at least. But again, it's such an
0: emotional strain on you. It's so, it's
1: bad. Honestly, it's really bad.
0: The most I have to do is say, yeah, but where are you sourcing that cotton from? Yeah, you know? Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, it's hard. I mean... I am a white woman. Yeah. And the only... I've spoken to you about this when we had our coffee. The only way that I can remotely try and identify with what you're saying is my own experiences of sexism. Yeah. And the worst thing is when someone tells me, a man tells me, how I must be feeling Thank you how... in this situation and you realise that sexism is everywhere, in the way that racism is everywhere Sexism is definitely everywhere Do you find that people put their experiences or speak for you with, with the experience that they think you have had in yeah. the way that I can only, yeah. only relate to it, yeah. in, in the way that I
1: experience mm-hmm. sexism yeah, I do. I um I do and I find that a lot and I find that very strange that I personally because if I were like a white person I would never I would just never try to even put my my myself in or I don't know, it's hard to think about but like to put your to try and imagine this experience of
0: someone else is totally arrogant. And it's just wrong
1: in so many ways.
0: So after the summer, yeah, we're still in a pandemic. There was a month on my social media where it was all anyone talked about, and then I noticed
1: a huge to nothing. Yeah, yeah, that was. Um, it was just hard to see that people. I think social media. I, I have a weird like relationship with social media now, especially after last year. I've learned that social media it's good and bad, but I think more bad <laughs> than anything else. Um, it's great that you know we can. Build awareness and out the people that needed to be outed and like you know that that news can be shared and you know that we can raise awareness of really the right things. However, um, it teaches me a lot about people and I think people just so carelessly post and do this and that and it's just like it's very hard to see and I think that there's also a lot of these fake woke people out there who just feel like oh I act one way on social media but in real life I don't really care you know and that's like just something that I've learned. So I was really upset. And I remember in the, from if I think about the beginning of the whole Black Lives Matter movement of last year to the end of last year, I was so angry for any white person who wasn't posting. And at the end, I was just like, oh, my God, what am I like? Social media isn't the only way to find news. You know, like it's, it's really OK if people decide not to, you know, it's, it's not like they need to be canceled for sure. But it's just really it's just really sad to see how quick people go from caring to not caring at all. And I think that has been like the harshest thing for me is just also just realizing that it's just so not genuine. Social media, like we can't take it too seriously at the end of the day. We really shouldn't.
0: I think there's a common misconception that social media is an extension of your existence. Mm -hmm. The idea that someone is judged on their belief system from their social media or lack of social media to me is something that's it's really disturbing as someone mm-hmm. who really feels the emotional
1: impact of social media on my life. I used to think that social media was so much part of me and I was like, oh my God, I make money with it. I do this, I do that. And I had to take a step back and realize this is not real life. Like this is really, really not it. And to just kind of step away and also just share less personal stuff. And I don't know, just really... I look at social media now as just like okay I'm going to use it to still share news and still like try to get my voice out there and post what really matters and at the end of the day it's also just a money making tool like let's be honest use it to can, how it can help us but yeah. but not let not let it dictate exactly. your life exactly and not let it become too much of your personal being and not you know let it define your personality too much that's the thing and i've just seen so how social media has also just affect i've had so many close friends who have deleted their accounts and how happier they are is, is, is pretty nice. With your work do you want to be portraying a political message? I think I'm, my mission is genuinely to just try to make this industry a lot more diverse and real and honest and build it from the inside out you know help rebuild it from the inside out. How do we do that? By diversifying teams like looking looking internally and seeing you know Who are the people who are building teams at the end of the day? Who are the people who are building these major campaigns? Who are the creative minds behind this? Are there POCs involved in that process as well? You know, we need to really start from the bottom upwards, like with the fashion industry really needs to rebuild itself really from the bottom up.
0: Yeah. And be asking questions.
1: Yeah. Asking questions and and double checking and checking, checking with your POC, POC people before you decide to get things written off, you know, like,
0: it's also easy for us to criticize the German fashion industry. It's not especially diverse, and, mm-hmm. but also there's
1: that also so much opportunity there to Just, improve yeah. it. Exactly, and you have an industry that has money, you know, you could be doing so much more. You have all these means and all these like major companies that could really be doing great things, but the taste makers or the people behind it aren't, aren't there yet, you know? They, We have so much work to do, it's insane. Germany, I feel like a lot of, I think a lot of black people, because they don't see so much representation, a lot of black people don't try mm-hmm. to work in these kind of industries. You, you have a lot less of that because if you're seeing a lot more POCs on billboards or whatever around, of course you're going to be more inclined to work for these places when you can see something that's more, that's relatable to you. But if not, you know, you're going to have the hesitation, of course. In the same way that, I mean, if you go on
0: the about section of all of the big financial companies that have offices here in Berlin and you go on their staff and you can see all of the managing directors they are all white guys. all of them
1: it's crazy I and mean, white men yeah for sure insane it's Like that they all white, white men basically yeah, 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 and yeah. then apart from like
0: one woman mm-hmm. maybe but of course that doesn't motivate me to go and be part of that company exactly why would you because you don't want to be alone you no. don't want to be the only person how you don't want are... to be tirelessly making the point yeah
1: and how toxic is it to be around a bunch of old white men who think that they know everything way better than you do. And
0: why should that responsibility fall on your shoulders? Exactly. Like, or, or, you know, as a, as a woman, the only way that that's going to change is if those that are in positions of power feel the accountability. And mm-hmm. unfortunately, that's just going
1: to take a lot of activism from the people that really care. Mm-hmm. That's the importance of social media, is really, of course, using it to, to make change. Because I've realized that the power of social media, I mean, Instagram specifically, is just insane. The march I did... Any sort of political sort of activism that I've done through or a gathering, whatever that I've tried to organize through social media has been so well received and it's been insane and it's been so rewarding. So I'm just like, if we can do this with such small things, we can 100% do it. It's just about people getting together. But a lot of people are afraid as well. You know, they're afraid to fight. They're afraid to lose anything you know, to 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 uh, to jeopardize anything. A lot of black people are definitely afraid of that. A lot of black people will not speak, especially here, will not speak out because they're afraid of being called aggressive, of being, you know, I had this conversation with my friend who's an amazing makeup artist, and she was like, I think all production companies in Berlin officially hate me. I said, why? And she was like, because I'm outspoken. And she was like, and I'm always angry because they don't give me the time that I need to work on you know, like for example, when she's doing cornrows on set or something like that, people are like, okay, you have 20 minutes, but they don't realize that that's not realistic when you're asking for something, but people don't try to put them, they don't try to understand our culture, you know what I mean? They just want it done and they want it to look pretty and then that's it, but they don't want to know the work that goes behind it and that's just extremely hurtful. Especially in Berlin, we need more strong black voices, black women voices, specifically because i think black people just deserve better it's it's I'm, i think i'm just really tired of seeing our culture be so all up in everyone's face and everyone being obsessed with it but nobody wants to put in the work to support our people and i think that's just really really hurtful
0: we had a conversation before we started recording about white people wearing dreadlocks
1: yeah so this is a, this is a really interesting conversation because i remember so my mom is an african woman from kenya moved to the us in the 80s and we lived for a little while in Germany when I was a kid. We lived in Cologne and there my mom had an Afro shop. Cologne has a lot of Africans, which, is, which was really great for my mom's business. But of course, there was a lot of uh, white German women who wanted braids. <laughs> so my mom used to do their hair and she would do it because she was just like, oh my gosh, I'm making money, blah, blah, blah. And I remember growing up, I never thought it was a thing. I was always like, oh my God, like everyone gets their hair braided. They don't really care, like whatever. And I remember talking to my mom and she didn't necessarily think that it was, like, fun to do white people's hair. She looked at it as just, like, a money-making thing, (laughs) you know, of course. It wasn't until, I think, my sister was telling me, like, how inappropriate it actually is, you know, of people wearing, white people wearing certain hairstyles and then also not knowing what they're called or, like, just calling them different names or whatever and just not really respecting the thing. I have a really, I just have a weird relationship with that because I've also had... I think it's taken me a lot longer than maybe other people to realize that certain hairstyles are just really, really inappropriate. Like I was never phased by and I really did have a lot. I have one white friend who's really good at braiding black hair and she learned from black people because she was like living with a black foster family, you know, so it's like, where do you draw the line at the end of the day? You know, she does my hair sometimes and I love when she's really good at doing my hair, you know. But I've had people being like, why are you letting this white woman do your hair? But I'm also like, but she learned from a black family who was like her foster family, how, because she was doing her like foster sister's hair. It's just tricky. I mean, of course, when Kylie Jenner got cornrows and called the mini braids, that was super inappropriate.
0: The Slow Exposure Podcast is supported by Vestia Collective, the leading app for pre-loved fashion. Direct shipping is one of Vestia Collective's newest services. If you're not already familiar with the concept, the idea is simple. Items can be ordered directly from the seller without going through their authentication hubs first. This results in lower CO2 emissions thanks to the shorter journey. Vestia Collective are offering all Slow Exposure listeners 25 euros or equivalent in local currency off their first purchase until the end of January. Use code SLOWEXPOSURE21 all uppercase and download the app for more details. Thank you, Vestia Collective. Can we talk about what you told me before the recording about what happened in December with your
1: cousin? Last year, on top of everything else, I found out that four, four of my family members in the US are Trump supporters. They are all black women. And uh, they are all naturalized US citizens, meaning, or, no, sorry, two of them are. Meaning, so one of them moved to the US when she was 16. And my aunt moved to the U.S. begin '90s or something like that from Kenya. So hearing that, and then the other two are like just younger, born born in the states. So hearing that was one of the most emotional things I've ever heard. Like I heard it from my cousin, who is also living in the states, and she's like my best friend. So hearing that, and that's like her sisters and her mom. Hearing that from her was very hard and the reason, the way she found out was that she was, um, so my other cousin, her niece, it was her first time being able to vote last year. So it's obviously a huge privilege and it's super exciting to be able to, you know, vote for the first time. I remember my first time, it was super fun and I just, yeah, I had a, it was just great um, very and empowering. very very empowering, exactly. So she was getting her all excited and was asking if they wanted to go to the polls together or whatever. and. She was like I don't know if I first she said I don't know if I'm going to vote and if so I hope you know that I'm voting for Trump. And that her and her mom are not Democrats. And that was like like I think my cousin's like heart like definitely like dropped. <laughs> and I can imagine that she felt very lonely in that moment. You want to go see your mom and then you find out that your mom is literally a Trump supporter. It's just it's just shocking. And She was obviously trying to find out why, and was like trying to, you know, just have a discussion. And the thing is that none of them wanted to talk about it. They just said, you know, you have your views, we have ours, but just know that the Democrats are pedophiles. They are like full on in that down that whole fake news rabbit hole, QAnon all the way. Like it's, it's sad because I think that um, my this part of my family isn't. They're not the most educated either. Like. And it's just sad because I feel like so much of America is affected by this. So much of like the, maybe the not so, what's the word I'm looking for? Not so like fortunate people or not the best educated people are getting the right news, you know? So they're just like reading, watching YouTube news after YouTube news after YouTube news and just getting fed this like disgusting information um, and having their mind made up. And that's like what they're going to. And they're like full on dead ass Trump supporters like they don't see any different. They think Biden is is a sneaky fucker. I mean, he's not my favorite either, but anything's better than Trump. Yeah, so finding that out was just dark. And it's all the same kind of views. It's all the super religious born-again Christian kind of families that just don't want to see anything else. Um, And they genuinely think Trump has done really well. And they think that the media has showed the worst of him. When I remember growing up, I, like I said earlier, I didn't experience that much racism because we, it with my family, it was like my mom and dad, we were like, you know, don't pay any racist any mind, like whatever, that's, you know, and we just such a mixed household, so many people from all over the place, and it was great. But I do, thinking back to it now, I think that my mom always wanted, she never really wanted me to see racism, she just wanted to ignore it, and I think that still plays in... Do you think to protect you? Protect me, but also, I think she just didn't, want me to think that racism was a thing. I think she was like, oh, we've moved to America. It's things are better here. Like, I think she was just like an, an optimism. And I've had this conversation with friends here as well, who, who's who felt the same, who have Af- two African parents. And were kind of like, when we moved to Germany, let's just call let's just forget about like racism and just live a life here, you know? So they don't want to talk about like things like police brutality and stuff like that, because they just feel like they've just come here for a better life. And that's just like it. We need a fucking break. Yeah, exactly. Wanted- you are a very, strong person to be able to confront
0: these issues in your job. Yeah, I think there are lots of, there are many people that that don't have the
1: energy for it, you know? Yeah, I mean, I don't say, I I wouldn't even say I have the energy for it, because when I have to speak about these things and the way I feel when I come home, when I come home, I just want to just want to lie in bed and just forget about the day. Mm which is not really how you want to end a work day anyway you know you should be ending it like feeling content and feeling happy about what you did or whatever not just thinking oh my god was i a drag you know i definitely play the situations back in my head and i'm like did i really need to but at the end of the day you know you did it for a reason if that's like your gut feeling is to speak out right then and there then that's what i have to do but it's
0: it's interesting because I so the way that Slow Exposure works is that I write about sustainable initiatives and sustainable brands mm. and I've always been very conscious of being very diverse with the with the photos that I choose but I know that I'm not doing enough to find brands that are run by black women or people of color and that is real work you, Did know? you do and the research oh my gosh yeah like of course like you have to and and there is a real it's so funny because I think the way I find these brands is mm. through magazines Mm. writing about these brands and therefore if the person writing if the editor is not being diverse then the the information that I receive Mm. will also be majority white people creating it's my responsibility to find yeah and it takes energy and it takes if there aren't enough out there then I need to be doing more to make sure that that I you know work with people to encourage this and make you know, the bigger it becomes, the the more, you know, conversation there will be around it and the idea that sustainability is just environmental is yeah. not is bullshit.
1: Yeah. And, and that's what so many people really, really think.
0: Yeah, totally. Yeah. Which is why which is why we had to have this conversation, because a yeah. fashion
1: industry which isn't diverse isn't a fashion industry which is worth working for. hmm Agreed. Agreed completely. And that's something that I noticed as well after I mean, there were so much thoughts last year. I was like, Well, did I do I wanna continue doing this? Do I really want do I like being in this industry? Mm-hmm. Is this worth it for me? Does it but yeah, at the end of the day I've wanted to work in the fashion industry since I was a little kid and I'm not just gonna you know, we have great ways of changing. We have great resources to change. It's just a matter of waking up those old white men and trying to shake things up, you know, finally. And it's obviously gonna take patience and time and a lot of you know emotional stress but I think at the end of the day it's worth it because what is the fashion industry without POCs anyway you know real talk um so it's just more about giving the visibility and the opportunity that everyone deserves equally you know
0: are you feeling optimistic about
1: the year ahead I don't know, it's had a bad start. <laughs> it's had a really bad start. Mm-hmm. Take every week the way it is and like try to try to set goals for myself and see reach out to the people who I know who are already listening to me and who are interested and actually will hear me out and then try to work with them as much as possible and then take it from there instead of just, you know, trying to trying to start from the bottom up. I think for me this is like the best approach right now. Mm-hmm.
0: Thank you so much. Oh, are we done? Yeah, we're done. Oh my
1: gosh, that was fun.
0: We're done. Yeah, should I turn off? Yeah. Thank you for listening to my conversation with Olive. You can find Olive on Instagram at Olive Duran. This was the final episode in the first series of the Slow Exposure podcast. If you haven't already, please go back and check out my other episodes with five other guests. If you have listened to every single episode so far, your support is everything. There will be a season two landing very soon. If you have any topics regarding sustainability you would like me to discuss with future guests, you can email me at elizacamillaedwards at gmail.com or via Slow Exposure on Instagram. Thank you to Viv Levav for the music and to Arthur Laidlaw for editing support. And of course, a huge thank you to the sponsor for this podcast, Vestiaire Collective. I'll see you very, very soon. Delete this whole cry.